welcome to the Hope Dealers Podcast. I am your host, Sean Fitzpatrick, and we are here telling you amazing hope-filled stories from the world of Hope is Alive Ministries. As the media marketing coordinator of Hope is Alive, and uh, as well as a HI alumni, I have had the pleasure of witnessing so many miracles over the last few years, and it is my honor to be here hosting the Hope Dealers Podcast. You know, with over 20 sober living mentoring homes spread across the country, there are always so many miracles and stories taking place in our world. And as Hope Dealers, we love sharing those stories with those who need to hear them the most. You know, whether you're a resident of the Hope is Alive program, maybe you're a family member of one of our residents. Maybe you're a current or future supporter of HIA, or most importantly, if you're the mom or dad of someone struggling with addiction, our hope is that these stories will bring you strength and hope in your journey. All right. Well, welcome back to the Hope Dealers podcast. Again, my name is Sean Fitzpatrick, and we are coming to you live today from Wichita, Kansas, from the Wichita Men's Home, taking the podcast on the road. And we're here with my good friend, Justin Bailey. Justin, how are you? I'm doing good, Sean. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, man. Justin, you're the uh, newest program manager here in Wichita. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Okay. And, uh, just for our viewers out there listening, um, what's your journey been like so far as a, as a program manager, man, it's been a really fun journey. You know, I started out in Weatherford and then I got the opportunity to move to Tulsa to intern and then out to Beaufort, North Carolina, and then back to Oklahoma city. And then now I'm out here in Wichita. Wow. So you've uh, definitely been making the rounds. Yeah, man, it's been a journey. I love it. Um, God has placed me where I've needed to be. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. And uh, I just want to say, you know, Justin's one of my favorite people um, in Hope is Alive, not just for the fact that he's always showing such willingness to do uh, whatever's needed to uh, further radical life change, but also because he's a huge hockey fan, just like myself. So we've always had that in common, haven't we? Yeah, man, that's right. Except you're a Dallas Stars fan. Yeah, and you're a Chicago Blackhawks fan. So we're at an impasse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... Why don't you just take us back a little bit? Um, when did your, uh, you know, when did you get lost in the web of addiction? Yeah. So uh, growing up, um, drinking was socially acceptable in my family. Yeah. So um, I had my first drink around 15 years old, and you know, at that point in time, it felt like I finally fit in. I was free. It was like I was drowning my whole life, and I could come up and get, you know, a breath of air. Sure. Yeah. I mean, drinking, that's the thing. When you talk to a lot of alcoholics, they'll tell you, uh, and this is for myself as well as, you know, it's socially acceptable. Yeah. Everyone around you is doing it. And, you know, we kind of get lost, uh, in the web because we're like, well, uh, why should everybody else get to do it? Not us. And that's why it takes a lot of people who drink so long to break away from it. So you said something that you finally felt like you belonged Um, can you elaborate on that a little more? Like what led to that? Yeah. So growing up, I had a lot of like expectations placed on me and, you know, when I had that drink, it felt like all those expectations went away and I could just be myself. Um, and I finally fit in with a group of people, you know, I was able to open up and talk and make friends to where more, I was more quiet and reserved growing up. Yeah. So, um, was it, it was mainly just alcohol you struggled with though, right? So, um, shortly after drinking, I got introduced to uh, prescription painkillers and, um, you know, that's where my addiction really started taking off was with those prescription painkillers. Yeah. Cause you were an athlete. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Playing hockey. Yes. 
which is, you know, awesome, but it's, uh, it's heartbreaking that you, uh, did get lost in the web of painkillers. Um, so take me through high school, you know, what's, what's that journey like, you know, when you've, you've got this vice of prescription painkillers, you're liking to drink, but you're also trying to be a competitive ice hockey player. Yeah. So it was quite the double-edged sword, you know, um, growing up, my mom was a school teacher. So like I was trying to put on this persona of, you know, I had everything under control because I didn't want my mom to find out because it was a small town. But at the same time, like, you know, um, drinking and drugging made me feel whole. So it almost got to the point to where, like, I didn't care anymore about my image. Um, and that's where it really where it took off was when that caring really stopped. And all I cared about was that next drink or drug. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's, that's the heartbreaking thing for so many people is we, you just get to this point where nothing else really matters, just where we're going to get our next fix, whether that's drinking or drugging or whatever. Um, so, but you're still playing hockey this whole time. Does that take you, you know, to another, to something after high school? No. So after I graduated high school, my hockey career ended. Okay. Um, and I really had no direction after high school. You know, I took kind of a gap year, yeah. Um, I did go to community college for a semester, but, um, you know, I didn't, wasn't going to class. So my dad basically told me like, why don't you just go drop out? I said, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so after that, I decided to join the army. Um, it's kind of a theme. I run away a lot. And so I was trying to run away from this problem that was starting to become an issue. Wow. Wow. So you go to the army does this is this kind of you just running away from your problems yeah so um it was me getting out of my hometown running away i did want it to be a career but everywhere i went you know i followed myself so the drinking and the drugging really like amplified when i got into the army gotcha so going to the army didn't help essentially not no, that, it, not that it's the army's fault, but we can run away but every time we run away we're still there when we get to the new place exactly yeah yeah. Yeah. That's understandable, man. Um, so, you know, walk me through your twenties. What does that look like? Yeah. So I went into the army at 19 and then at age of 20, I was discharged from the military for uh, drug use. Um, so again, you know, I run back home cause again, I'm a runner. I run for my problems. So I went back home and life started getting pretty good. I got my own apartment. I was just drinking recreationally, you know? Um, so I got my own place, had a really good job. And a couple of my buddies died overseas. And Man. so growing up, you really didn't um, talk about your emotions and I didn't really know how to handle it. So I ran to the bottle and that's when I got introduced to heroin for the first time and um, the needle. Wow. And, you know, I went on about a two year bender, which led me to my first rehab. Okay. And so how old were you when you first went to rehab? So I was 22 when I went to my first rehab. Okay. Okay. And, you know, I know I've heard your story a lot, but you know, our listeners might not have, how many times have you been to rehab? So I've been to three different rehab facilities and I've been in six sober livings. Wow. Wow. And none of it took until hope was alive. Yeah. Um, you know, I would get stretches of sobriety, but it was more kind of like proving people wrong that I could do it. And it wasn't for me. Proving them wrong that like that you didn't have the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I know a lot of us out there, um, and parents, if you're listening, you might be going through the same thing. Uh, we, we go into treatment, right. And Basically, the idea is to show everyone that we don't have the problem and that they have the problem. 
Yeah. And we just really want, you know, just please get all the way off my back. You know? <laughs> yeah. So that was the first time I went to rehab and it was really, you know, to get mom and dad off my back um, and basically get them to trust me again. And it did not last very long. Of course not. <laughs> I think I graduated from that 30 day treatment center. I went into their sober living program and within like a week I was out back using and I was kicked out of that sober living facility. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I get asked all the time, like, you know, well, I went to treatment or I went to sober living or why didn't it work? Um, but not to, you know, and not to speak for you, but it's probably because you didn't want to, right? Yeah. You know, at the time I uh, blamed everyone else. I blamed the circumstances, but the reality was like, Justin was not ready to one, let go of Justin and two, you know, uh, get serious and open about what Justin's feeling at that time. Right. Right. So let's, uh, fast forward just a little bit. Um, you go to treatment a couple more times, you go through sober living a few more times. What is it that makes you finally, you know, Justin finally wake up and say, okay, I, I've got to make a change. So I dealt with some bouts of homelessness and um, this last time I was homeless, I was molested. And, um, you know, it really, all that power that I felt that I had, you know, that hope I had for Justin immediately went away. Yeah. Um, you know, I went back to my parents' house um, and I found my brother's shotgun and I could not find any shotgun shells that day. Thank the Lord. And, you know, it just kind of hit me. We talk about a rock bottom and it's not for me. It's not jails. It's not rehab. It's not hospitals. It was that mental and emotional torture that was going on in my mind that I was finally like, you know what? I'm done. Like, I'm really done this time. Sure. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Um, everyone's rock bottom is different. Yeah. I think for a lot of us, uh, you know, we, we, we get kind of confused on what rock bottom means, but you know, everyone only, you know, when it's time, when you're, uh, when you're finally at that rock bottom, well, we're going to take a quick break, get a word from our sponsors, and then we're going to come right back and hear from Justin on how he made his way into Hope is Alive. We'll be right back. This episode of the Hope Dealers podcast has been brought to you by Finding Hope Support Groups. Finding Hope is a support group for loved ones of addicts. Through our meetings, you'll find education, inspiration, and a community of other loved ones who have been impacted by addiction. Finding Hope Support Groups currently has 40 meetings across the country. To find out more, visit findinghope.today. Okay, Justin, so you were just talking about how you finally got to what your rock bottom was. Um, what brings you into Hope is Alive? Yeah, so um, I remember I told my mom and dad for the last time, like, hey, I need help, and I actually mean it this time. And um, so they actually contacted a good friend of mine named Jeff Patterson. Um, and he called me that next morning and he said, hey, your mom and dad kind of told me what's going on. Um, why don't you come detox on my couch and we'll figure something out? Because at that point in time, I was looking at paying for, you know, pulling a loan out to pay for rehab. I was willing to do whatever it took to get in. And I go over to his apartment and we're sitting there and he's like, so what are you going to do? You know, he's a pretty uh, straight shooter. And I'm like, dude, yeah. I, I have no idea. I just know I want to get sober. And he's like, well, I know this place called Hope is Alive. Why don't you apply here? And I was like, okay. 
Um, went on the website. I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't read anything about the program. I just saw pictures of everyone like genuinely happy. Right. And so I applied, um, you know, and it right away, I got a phone call from uh, Christy Martin and, um, yeah, we sat down, we talked about the program and, um, you know, the only thing was I needed to pass a drug test. Mm. <laughs> that fun little hurdle. Yeah. So, um, you know, I detoxed on his couch for about five days and uh, made my way out to Weatherford, Oklahoma. Weatherford, Oklahoma. I love it. And that was a different kind of feel for you out there, wasn't it? Yeah. So it had that small town vibe. Yeah. And I really thrived out there. You know, um, that house is very special because that's what we have out there. We have the guys and it's a big brotherhood out there. It's a family yeah. and it's an amazing experience out there. Yeah. And just for those of you listening, you know, Hope is Alive has 25 mentoring homes all across the country. And I, one of the things that I love whenever I get to talk about, talk about the homes with uh, other people is like, you know, if you need the city, we got the city. You know, I personally came from Dallas and lived in one of the Oklahoma City homes for about three years um, because I like the city. I thrive in the city, but I didn't need it to be Dallas. So Oklahoma City, it was. Uh, if you don't need that and you need something a little smaller, we got Tulsa. But then if you really like Justin was saying, you know, Weatherford's got that small town vibe, just as our Claremore home does. Um, and that's one of the things that's just really cool. I think Justin would agree with me that just the, 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 uh, the variety of towns that come with living in Hope is Alive. Yeah, most definitely. I've gotten to experience everything from, uh, <laughs> yeah, you have, you know, small town in Beaufort, North Carolina to, you know, big town of Oklahoma City. And sure. it's been, you know, it's been awesome. Each market brings something special and unique, um, but you always find that culture and that brotherhood there at each home. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about the, um, the rounds you've made, um, but kind of tell our listeners how that came about. Like what, why were you getting bounced around like that? Because, you know, obviously at cert a certain point you decided that you wanted to come on the, the Hobos Alive team. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, I was out in Weatherford and Grant Green came out there and he just loved on us guys, you know, and he brought Mark West in as our new program manager out there. Yeah. And just how everything was handled and like the brotherhood and the love that they showed me, I was like, man, this is what I want to do. You know, I always wanted to help drug addicts and alcoholics. I just didn't know how. And when I saw that love, you know, and it's, it was a genuine love, I was like, okay, this is where I want to be. And, um, you know, I applied for an internship and uh, I uh, told Grant, I said, you know, I'll go anywhere you guys want me to go. I have no problem. We say yes to everything. Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I uh, got the internship and they said, hey, we want to move you back to Tulsa. And I said, well, I was, I was kind of hesitant. I'm not gonna lie. Um, going to lie. Because you're from Tulsa. Yes. Um, going back there, but it was really awesome to get back into that community and to like start helping people where I once, you know, used to run around in. Wow. Um, so from there, um, Jesse was my regional and he asked me if I would go out to North Carolina with him to help out there. And again, something I was taught very young in sobriety was we say yes to everything, you know, um, yeah. and you know, I immediately told Jesse, I said, yeah, you know, let's go. Um, and it was just awesome to get out there, um, see a different part of the world too. I'd never been out to North Carolina. 
Yeah, and you don't want to look back and wonder what if, you know. I mean, because let's say you don't go out to North Carolina. Um, you might be looking back in a year and you're like, man, I could have gone out and lived in, on the East Coast for a little while. Like, what's it even like out there? I've never been out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big food guy, so trying the, <laughs> yes. trying the different foods out there was awesome. Um, just the culture, you know, the people, it was just an amazing experience. Yeah, I actually had the opportunity to visit Justin out there in North Carolina this past May when he was interning for Hope is Alive. Um, we had a uh, we had an event out there. Me and our events team took a trip, and uh, I will agree with you. The food was pretty amazing. Every single night, it was uh, some kind of new fish we were trying. Yeah, um, fish that was caught about you know ten feet away from us. <laughs> um, so you come back from North Carolina to Oklahoma City. Yeah, so um, I got hired on full time and I got to move back to Oklahoma City. Um, and man, it was awesome. I had never been in like the hub of Hope is Alive. I've always been in these outside markets. So like being yeah. in the middle of everything and seeing how everything operates was just an amazing experience. Getting to learn underneath Chase Pfeiffer, Grant Green, you know, all those guys that have came before me and just being right there in the middle is what I really enjoyed. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, it's funny. Uh, my parents have asked me before, cause you know, I myself, like you just said, I've worked for, in the hub of Oklahoma City, you know, uh, a lot. Well, my entire Hope is Alive career and uh, I get asked a lot like, well, what's it like at the outside markets as opposed to working in the middle of it? It's just a different experience when you're when you're right in the middle of where it all happens. It is. So like in Oklahoma City, they keep, you know, we keep busy. There's always things to do Yeah. to where, you know, with these outside markets, we find things to go do. Right. Sure. You know, um, something I'm bringing here at the house is making a planning committee, you know, getting these guys involved to plan activities and start building that um, foundation that we have out there in OKC in the hub of family. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. So. You're working out in Oklahoma City. Um, I remember I saw you quite a bit in those days. And then the next thing you know, you get asked to move again. Yeah, so it's kind of, it's a God wink how this happened. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember I was laying in bed and something hit me. Just pray for Wichita. It was like nothing specific at all. And so I was like, okay, God, I, I hear you. And, you know, that night I prayed. And uh, I was dropping one of our PM boot campers off up at the hill. And Grant Green called me and said, hey, can you come in the office? And I said, sure. And we went in there and he asked me if I would be willing to move again. And I kind of chuckled. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was like, this is a God thing. I said, yes. You know, um, just that's, you know, the mentality I have is I'll do whatever it takes to grow, one, the kingdom of God, and two, grow this uh organization and grow this community as much as i can that is so amazing and you know that's for those of you listening whether you're a resident in the program whether you're a family member a current or future supporter um we say yes and god takes care of the rest the miracles that are being laid out for us you know it's not really up to us to choose which ones we get and i think justin's a prime example of what happens when you just trust the process, say yes, and just, you know, fall right into your calling. Um, we have actually been out here in Wichita for the last two, three days. And I'll tell you, I've been visiting this market for three years and there's just a light in the eyes of the residents here. Um, and the, 
nobody or everybody cannot stop talking about how happy they are to have Justin here in Wichita. And that goes from residents to other Hope is Alive team members that are based out here. Um, and uh, all that came from just saying yes and just trusting the process. And sometimes, you know, when we want to be a part of something, you know, we fall into those old habits of like, well, I want to be a part of it, but on my terms. Um, but you didn't do that. No, you know, and it really wasn't even a question or a second thought in my mind because I know at the end of this, God's going to bless me with something. I don't know what it is or when it'll be, but I know there's a blessing and that'll come out of this. Absolutely. Well, I think we're, we're, all, we're seeing part of the blessing, you know, right in front of us right now. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you fitting us into your uh, busy schedule out here at your new home that you're overseeing. Uh, for those of you listening, be sure to like and subscribe. Give us a five-star review. Um, and we will see you next time. This is the Hope Dealers Podcast. See you later. A new place, a new home for a while. Let me feel alive. Nothing to hold me back. Take my time. Just enjoy the ride. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hope Dealers Podcast. If you or someone you know needs to get in touch with Hope is Alive, or maybe you just want some more information, please visit hopeisalive.net or call 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. Oh, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel so alive.